It's now my pleasure to introduce an inspiring person who always makes us feel right at home and calls us to be the best kid we can be when we come here on Sunday. May you welcome with me our own spiritual director, Reverend Patrick Cameron. Good morning. Uh, we're going to change things up a little bit this morning. Well, welcome, first of all. And uh, I was here last week but didn't speak. Kind of a busman's holiday, so it just seems strange, you know. I'm going to ask, um, we're going to sing our song. And I've asked the brilliant, amazingly sweet Reverend Catherine McLeod to do our opening prayer today. And then I've asked, um, you like her, huh? And then I'm going to ask Brian, to, we're going to sing a song we haven't sung in a few weeks. So, if you'd like to stand and sing, fantastic. Otherwise, please stay seated. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world And there's quite enough love And quite enough power To walk through our every fear More spirit One spirit in this very room in this very room in this very room and I know this that as we stand singing from the heart opening our hearts and remembering the truth that there is one life that life is God's life, and that life is my life, and your life, our life now, right here. I remember the blessings of my life, the beauty of this wonderful planet, the joy in my heart, and I claim health. I claim being absolutely awake to the abundance in my life to the love in my life and so I stand sure that regardless if the rain is falling if the snow is falling if the wind is blowing or if my life appears to be challenging me I remember the truth that there is a power inside me and inside each person that stands us on our feet that gives us a blessing and inspires us to have the best life we can live. Mm -hmm. I claim that now, and I ask you to claim it with me as together we say, and, and so, so it is. Beautiful. Thank you. Hmm, what a beautiful prayer. And some of you know this, and I encourage you to sing along. This is a Rumi poem called Come.
Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, and come, come, whoever you are, isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, and come. Come, whoever you are, this isn't a caravan of despair. And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vows a thousand times before and yet again. Come again, come and yet again. Come, come whoever you are, wonder, worshiper, lover of meaning. Come. Come, whoever you are, this is a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, and come, come, whoever you are, this is a caravan of despair. And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vow. A thousand times before and yet again Come again, come and yet again Come, come again, come Come again, come Come again, come Come again, come Come again Worshipper, lover of leaving, come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair. Come, come, whoever you are. Wander, worshipper, lover of leaving, and come, come, whoever you are. This isn't a caravan of despair.
Brian McLeod. Thanks, buddy. Beautiful. What's all this singing we do? I think uh, it ties in so beautifully with what we are called to do. And one of the reasons I love that chant, that poem by Rumi, is that we are continually invited to return. And so today I wanted to talk a bit about that because... Um, we have so much evidence. Um, I love that there's a new trailer out for Anthony Hopkins' film. I don't know, The, the Right, I think it's called, R-I-T-E. And he's, I think he's an exorcist, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. I'm sure it'll be, somebody will be sending me something soon. But anyway, and he says, you know, we always search for proof, or the, the, the people are always searching for proof, but what would we, would we do if we really had proof? And I like that. I think, hmm, what a great question. And I, you know, I feel in my own heart um, that what my spiritual practice has provided me is enough evidence to support the proof. So I share that with you. And I think when we do the, 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 the music together, one of the things it does is it puts us into what um, one of the great teachers that has come down through the ages talked about, the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to talk a bit about that, quite a bit about it today. Uh, <clears throat> Dr. Hugh Lynn and his, his work... Zero Limits, if you read that book, uh, calls it zero point. And so when we get to zero point, we're living from d- divine inspiration rather than from memory. And so there's the subtleties to it, and I wanted to share with you some of the ideas. I, I pulled something out of, well, first of all, today's uh, lesson is entitled The Greatest Power. And it was inspired on March 2nd, Mark Nepo's book, The Book of Awakening, which will be our book of the month next month as well. And he talks in there about sitting in an in a, um, airport waiting for an airplane to get on an airplane. And two businessmen, he overheard them speaking. And one guy was talking about a recent success he just had. And the other guy said, well, more power to you, which is no way of saying way to go. Good, 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 uh, good for you and congratulating him. But he said, you know, control, worldly power is really about a controlling power. And how many great civilizations have, have risen and receded? It's just... It's part of the way it works. By inner power, he's, Nepos says, I mean power that comes from being a part of something larger, a connective power. And I think that it speaks so beautifully to our orientation towards spirituality. So when I talk about zero point, or I talk about the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus was talking about, was he was talking about that connectedness, our connectedness to that. And so when we come together in music, when we come together in celebration... My commitment is to continue to build that awareness and to, to share from that awareness as much as possible. And so it's very interesting in the, in the, the book by Joe Vitale called Zero Point, which talks about the work of Dr. Hugh Len, this uh, therapist from Hawaii. <clears throat> and he, he cites a book in the, in, um, in the, within that context and then within that writing. He says, in the wayward mind, which was written by Guy Claxton, this is very interesting, and I'll try and go slowly so you understand this, because um, it's, it's a bit technical, but not too bad. But in this book, <clears throat> The Wayward Mind, Claxton writes of experiments that prove our brains tell us what to do before we consciously decide to do it. Our brains tell us what to do before... I see Dr. Gans over here nodding. So have you read the book? Okay. He's agreeing, <clears throat> so and, and he makes his living working with people's minds, so good. Um, 
This is a good thing. Anything else, you yell hallelujah if it's really good, okay? In one famous experiment, a neuroscientist named Benjamin Lippitt hooked people up to an electrocephalogram, an EEG machine, which showed what happens in their brains. It revealed that a surge of brain activity took place before the person had the conscious intention to do something, suggesting that the intention came from the unconscious and then entered conscious awareness. Claxton writes that Lippitt discovered that the intention to move appeared about a fifth of a second, which is, you know, just in the blink of an eye, about a fifth of a second before the movement began, that a surge of activity in the brain reliably appeared about a third of a second before the intention. So something is firing before we even consciously aware of it. And according to William Irving in his book On Desire, Why We Want What We Want, experiments such as these suggest our choices are not formed in a conscious, rational manner. Instead, they bubble up from our unconscious mind, and when they finally reach the surface of consciousness, we take ownership of them. And Benjamin Lippitt himself, the man who ran the controversial and revealing experiments, wrote in his book, Mind Time, the unconscious appearance of an intention to act could not be controlled consciously, but its final consummation in a motor act could be consciously controlled. So in other words, we think something fires in us, we become aware of it consciously, and at that point we decide to act on it or not act on it. In other words, the urge to pick up this book may seem like it came from your conscious choice. But in reality, your brain first sent a signal to pick it up, and then your conscious mind followed with a stated intention, something like, this book looks interesting. I think I'll pick it up. You could have chosen not to pick up this book, which you could have rationalized in some other way, but you could not control the origin of signal itself. That was nudging you to take action. He continues, I know this is hard to believe, but according to Claxton, no intention is ever hatched in consciousness. No plan ever laid there. Intentions are premonitions. Intentions are premonitions that flash in the corners of consciousness to indicate what may be about to occur. If you look at our vision and mission to teach and demonstrate living from spirit, so when we, we align ourselves through spiritual practice to zero point or to that that kingdom of heaven that is upon the face of the earth, then we are in that spaciousness of the divine. But in its in interesting subtlety, and it's very subtle, but I believe the spiritual work is about awareness and about waking up, and so we become more and more aware of when we are responding out of memory or personal agenda or we're in that divine flow of life. Very subtle. How do we know? So Dr. Hugh Len, Joe Vitale says to Dr. Hugh Len, and, and Dr. Hugh Len says, just keep cleaning. Clean everything. See, and his cleaning pro- is, is a prayer. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. Cleans everything. Laura said to me yesterday, we were, we were talking about this. She said, you know, to do this practice, you've got to be doing it all the time. And I said, absolutely. But we're thinking all the time anyway. But what he says in there is when you're, when you're constantly cleaning the consciousness. Now, another form of that, I would say, Dr. Ernest Holmes said, there's one life. That life is perfect. That life is God's life. That life is my life now. I mean, that one, that one works too. But it's really stepping us into that zero point of the, the now moment. And then what wants to be expressed, what wants to be given birth, we're in that conversation. And my journey, my spiritual practice has been is, is the subtleties of figuring out when am, I, when am I living from that and sharing from that and, and, and acting from that and when am I just acting from memory. And I think most people on the planet act from memory. So if we look back, there's, you know, all of the great world wisdom supports these ideas, which is just a wonderful. 
You know, it's wonderful to be alive. It's wonderful to be able to think and choose and to live in an environment where, you know, this teaching, what it's done for me is given me the gift of thinking. Think for yourself. And so one of the great things that, that Jesus talked about, and, you know, and I, you know, I mean, I've heard a variety of, of opinions about this, but I, I truly believe there was a great teacher that came along. There's just too much evidence to support this idea that, that, that he, did, he was not a historical figure. And if we know, if we look back at his story... First of all, he was a wordsmith. He spoke beautifully. And he spoke in parables. And he brought the parables because if you look at the time that he lived, it was a very simple time. It was an agriculture. It was a culture of, of agriculture. So he found stories and he found ways to relay uh, his parables. And parables means to place beside. So there's the a, there's a surface meaning and then there's the deeper meaning. And he understood that. And it, I mean, just an amazing genius of being able to weave the words together to convey the ideas because we remember stories. He was also a healer. I mean, if we read any of it, and much of our teaching is really Christian based. Much of Ernest Holmes' writings were inspired by the life and the, and the healings that Jesus performed. We don't deny the divinity of this historical figure, Jesus. What we do is we honor the divinity within him. We understand that he is the Son of God, but we also honor the divinity in one another. We also understand that all of us are the sons of the, of the source, sons and daughters of the, the one power, the one source. And so <clears throat> ours isn't about discounting any of this. Ours is simply to say, yeah, and this. He was very charismatic, from what I can tell. I mean, this is a guy that would come to town and everybody would drop what they were doing to go listen to this guy talk. And he had tremendous courage. He kept saying these things over and over and over again, and it bothered people until it reached the point that you know, they, they didn't want him around anymore. And he kept, he kept standing up and speaking the truth despite what he knew was, was inevitable. <clears throat> he also had a mystical experience. He said there's something more than just this physical form. There's something else happening, and it's life. And it's this, in, in what he called it, was the kingdom of heaven. Seek ye first. Has anybody ever heard that or is it just me? Seek ye first the kingdom. Anybody here have never heard of Jesus? Just three guys in the back. Okay, we're good. But <clears throat> he said, seek ye first the kingdom. It is upon the face of the earth and men and women do not see it. So I want to talk about that because it's really about a mindset. And, and when I opened this up about the zero point of the kingdom of heaven. This is exactly what he was talking about over 2,000 years ago. What he would also do in his practice, if we, if we study his life, there were extended, extended periods of prayer. There were extended periods of solitude and fasting. And he regularly re- withdrew into silence. He, he wanted to listen and listen deeply and be in that conversation. Dr. Ernest Holmes used to say, when deep, deep calls unto deep, deep answers but to be in that deep conversation. So the parable is an ordinary story, but it's profoundly interesting to, to look at. And I wanted to, to use the, the parable of the sower. Now, a few weeks ago I talked about it. I, I wove it in a bit of the narrative, but I took the, the King James Version because I just think it's a little more interesting. The language is a little more interesting. And in it, he says, it reads, <clears throat> Behold, there went, went out a sower to sow, And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. 
And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no, no depth of earth. And up when the sun, but when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it and yielded no fruit. And finally, and others fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And he's talking in all four of these examples about mindset. What is our mindset? Because our mindset will determine our availability to the kingdom. What we do, and so when, when the sower went out, he broadcast, he threw the seeds. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they picked the smartest guy to go out and do that because you want somebody really sharp to be throwing the seeds. Seeds are precious. So what do we do with those seeds is the nature of the mindset. Depending on the mindset in you and in me, that's how well the broadcaster's ideas are going to take place. So the first example, he says, when he, he sowed some seeds and they fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and they devoured them up. And what that represents is the type of mind that is unresponsive. It fell and it falls next to the path. The soil next to the path, if you've ever gone hiking, the soil next to the path and on the path is very tough. There's, it's not very permeable to seed. And it's where everybody travels. It could be an, analogous to race consciousness. It could be a metaphor for the way everything is. You know, I mean, you go out in the world, I go out in the world and say, God is all there is. God is everything I see everywhere present. And people are going, hey, hey, look at this over here. There, there's not a, probably not a, permeability, a great permeability to that. That is the path by the wayside. The soil next to the path is tough, and there's no cover. Nothing grows there. So for, and for growth to take place, you have to stop all the traffic. Isn't it interesting, with tra- the metaphor of traffic for our thinking? You have to stop all the traffic. Hmm, how do I stop all the traffic going on in my head? Because I've got such great stories going on in there. It's hard traveled with many footprints. The attitude, this is the way it goes. It's the place of the group mind. It's not allowed. And the foul of the air, snatch it up. As soon as we throw a great idea, it gets snatched up. The universe is abundant. Snatch. No, it's not. Look at the world. Look at the economy right now. It's not receptive. Not even rainwater. Rainwater can't even get in. And rainwater is a metaphor for inspiration. The rainwater is, an, is a metaphor for inspiration. So you know you're in your space because you're not teachable and controlled by other ideas. So some of the questions that are uh, uh, something to be asked is, am I teachable? And you can find out. You might be in this first mindset. Can I listen to what's going on inside me? Do I have a habit of running with the opinions of others? Am I easily persuaded? What good idea has come through me and I've, I've allowed it to be snatched up? Those are some good questions to look at. But that is the first mindset. The seeds fell by the wayside. The second mindset, <clears throat> some fell on stony places. And forthwith, as it says in the King James Bible, they had no deepen, deepness of earth. And when the sun came up, they were scorched. And they had no root and they withered away. How do you know if you have this mindset? How many projects are undone in your garage? How many seminars have you gone and take notes 
and written all the notes on self-improvement. You went and saw so-and-so. And for three days, you were fed information and skills and techniques and tools. And you took all the notes. And you came home. And those notes are still sitting there. Because you have, they just wither away. Did you know that less than 5%, they've done a study on people that go to the, the weekend seminar. I see some people laughing. They've been to the seminars. That people that go to a weekend seminar retain less than, that less than 5% actually use any of the information that they gather. That's statistically what happens. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just telling you that you might be in that 5%. I'm hoping I am too. (laughs) What happens with that mindset is that the roots don't go deep enough. You know, we think we're here and we have this amazing experience. We have this beautiful music and the beautiful songs. And then on the way home, we get a speeding ticket. (sighs) I was all set to change my mindset, but now I got a speeding ticket. Or a flat tire. I only got stuck three times in my alley last week. And I'll tell you, that's spiritual practice. I'm telling you. I was cleaning all the way up and down the alley. I had to run home and get a shovel. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I'm sorry. Please. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this with great joy. And I shoveled with great joy. And I backed up and I got stuck again. And I shoveled with great joy. Man, I could be, you know, I could be in great joy without this, I think. But maybe not. So the great question is, where am I lacking commitment right now in this second mindset? Am I going to allow ordinary grit to stop me? Is there something that's going to stop me? Because that's what will happen. What idea am I turning away from right now? What idea is stirring with you that you're turning away from right now? This is stony ground. There's nothing to sustain it. Nothing to sustain that, that, that idea that you have. But see, this was going on 2,000 years ago. Jesus knew. He's speaking in these parables to the agricultural people. They're going, oh, yeah, I can relate to this. I've, I've broadcast the seed. This is so cool. And he's talking about our level of thinking because he goes on, he expands after he tells this parable. And he tells his disciples the importance of this parable. He says, you don't get this one, you won't get any of them. This is obvious. That was their test for them. The mindset. In fact, the, the, the apostles that didn't get it, we never heard about them. They got put to the back of the line and said, we'll work on you guys later maybe. I don't know. Mindset number three. Some fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and they choked them. It's a weedy garden. It's, the, it's an untended garden. A mind where there's no vigilance is kept so that everything that shows up gets planted and it gets grown. It's a preoccupied mind. It's like trying to move into a new house but the family never moved out. There's already somebody living there. There's no room for you. But you'll try and make it work. We're going to be moving in. We'll be putting our couch next to your couch. It doesn't work. It's not why you purchased the home. A preoccupied mind. And it's, you know, hey, you look fantastic today. You look wonderful today. Really? Gee, well, you know, I could lose a few more pounds. Stop it! Just say yes, thank you. You know, that, those, those opinions we carry around from ourselves. Someone offering us love. Man, just so great to see you. Oh, no, no, no. But to, to once again move out of the memory into the present moment is our opportunity. And just to stand in gratitude and say, thank you. Thanks for seeing me. Thank you for acknowledging me. I'm reading a bunch of Breen Brown stuff right now on sympathy and empathy and, and pity. And it's just fascinating, the subtleties of it. So the question in mindset three is, what am I preoccupied with right now? 
the previous occupant, the previous idea is a problem. What is spirit trying to express and I'm not allowing it is a great question in this mindset. What is spirit, what is wanting to happen here? And we touch on that in the visioning. I did a visioning with the, the foundation class the other night. It was great. What is God's idea for my life right here and right now? What wants to happen? What must I embrace? What must I release? That question. But if we're not in that mindset, if we're not permeable and teachable, then we're, all of this, these other mindsets enter into it. And then we start, to, we start to measure everything as it comes up. The fourth mindset. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who has ears to hear? Listen. And this is our launching pad. This is our launching pad. The mindset that for myself and I think for you we all aspire to. And I think we live in it more often than we realize. But it's the subtleties of it and that's the paying attention and saying, hmm, is that a memory? Am I making this choice because it's from my memory or is this because it's divine inspiration? And we clean that through spiritual practice. It's the responsible and receptive mindset. It's aware of what is being broadcast and selects from it and it nurtures it. So we choose, even though things fire and they come into our awareness, we stand in the mindset of saying, I'm not doing that right now. I'm not going to say that right now. I'm not going to mail that email right now that I spent three weeks writing to my sister to let her know what just an interesting human being she is or whatever it may be. It's not, it's not, so once we understand that it's going to show up, the ideas show up. But is it showing up from memory or is it showing up from divine inspiration? The mindset that has space, has room, and inclination to listen to the, whole, the wholesomeness of the universe around it, to the goodness, to follow it, to let those ideas sink deep and take root so it affects our actions, our words, and our dreams, our vision. There's a wonderful writer, um, I found this somewhere and I don't have the source, I don't know the author, but what he had to say I think is beautiful. He's a metaphysical teacher that built upon this idea. He said, by prayer and meditation, one of the ways we cleanse this is through prayer and meditation. As I mentioned, there's two short prayers, one by Dr. Ernest Holmes, one life, perfect life, God's life, my life. I am one with it now. This is our affirmative prayer, the beautiful prayer that Reverend Catherine did for us today. The first two steps that we're invited to do is one, to recognize it and realize that life is my life. I choose this. And it doesn't change the infinite life. It transforms us. And, we, and then we step into the permeableness of it. Did you notice she wasn't reading it? She didn't even know she was doing the prayer today. I said to her, you're doing the opening prayer today. And she went, okay. And then she stood up here and whatever words were available to her. But, it, but when that, once that, that state of, of, I would call it grace... James Golden talked about it last week. He said, when you come together like this, there's the Shakti. In the West, we would call it the Holy Spirit. But when you stand in that, then the words that, need to, that are longing for expression show up. That's one of the beautiful things about the art of affirmative prayer. It's another tool to just ground us in that, that, that kingdom. So I'll read what this author had to say, and I don't have the source, and I find it, I'll share it <clears throat> as soon as I do. But he said, by prayer and meditation, the mind may condition itself to be receptive. By prayer and meditation, the mind may condition itself to be receptive. To the highest and to the best. To things that are beautiful. And such a mind mind believes instantly in infinite possibilities of good. 
infinite possibilities of good. It doubts the prophecy of wrong. <clears throat> you cannot easily plant wrong suggestions in such a mind. It is geared to good, to confidence, to the affirmation of life. Fears, melancholy, depression, and predictions of misfortune leave it untouched. Through prayer and meditation. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. It's always to the divine. Dr. East, Dr. Hugh Lentz says it's always to the divine. Just cleaning consciousness, cleaning consciousness so we live from the zero point. Whatever prayer it is, my mother with 11 kids, she used to be nodding her head constantly. She was always in silent because every time she got to the Jesus part in the prayer, she nodded her head. She was always saying the rosary. That was her meditation. Probably kept her sane all those years. The mindset in touch with reality, in touch with the kingdom of God, the way of things, the reality with a capital R. That's our opportunity. Another great prayer, and I want, to, I want to end with this today. It's the prayer of St. Francis. And I would love to have it up on the screen so you could read it with me, but I'll read it to you. Actually, let me read it to you, and if you'd like, you can, you can echo it back to me. Lord, this is from the, the English version of the prayer of St. Anthony. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console Grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. For it is in giving that we receive. It is pardoning that we are pardoned. Pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. The dying that takes place are those mindsets, those habitual patterns of thinking, to stand in the grace and the, and, the, and the receptivity and the awareness of what is seeking expression by means of each and every one of us. It's powerful spiritual practice. You keep doing that and doing that, <clears throat> you'll be amazed who and what you attract into your life. The kingdom of heaven is upon the face of the earth. It's right here. It's right now. Blessings. Thank you.